Well, it's great to be back in Pansy this morning. Thanks for the privilege of sharing the Word of God with you. I'm excited about this morning. I just love that song. Uh, the debt is paid, the chains, what was it? The debt is paid, my debt is paid, the chains have gone. Brilliant. We're going to have that song. Can we have that song at the end, Kev? Good. We're going to do it again, have an altar call and get some chains broken. It's like we are the blessed people. There should be no chains on us because of Jesus. The debt is paid. You're thinking about your sins. The debt has not been paid. Take hold of it. The debt has been paid. Jesus has paid the debt. We're free. You know, the gospel, uh, I love this in Titus. I'm going to talk about the kindness of God this morning. Something I haven't heard preached on, actually, but it just struck me the last little while. We've been through quite uh, an extended period of, of grind and stress, and all of a sudden, it's God started pouring into our cup, and we said, can this, can this last? But it was like the kindness of God was just pouring into our cup, and it was overflowing. And uh, as I looked into the Word, I see there's so much about the kindness of God. Not just the love of God, but the kindness of God. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about love. In 1 John chapter is at 4, he says, God is love. But that word is the agape or agapeo, which speaks of a choice of the will. Like it says in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, husbands, love your wives. That's agapeo. That's uh, not filio, which is filio is like a brotherly affection uh, and a, a natural affection for somebody in the Greek filio. In the Greek, agape is more like I choose the absolute best for my wife. It's not I feel love for my wife. See, it's an it's a actual uh, obedience thing that Paul is saying. He says, husbands, agape your wives. Not when they're looking pretty, not when you're feeling gooey and lovely and... and candle lit supper, but love them. Choose what's best for them. And God approaches us like that. His God is love. God sent His only Son for us because He is love. He chooses what's the absolute best for us, and He lays down His life for us. But this thing of kindness to me, it just struck me that God is also kind. Kind is more to do with an affection for moi. God is affectionate towards me. He's affectionate towards you. Look at this in, uh, this, this to me is the gospel uh, in, in uh, uh, three, four, five, six, seven, five verses. Titus chapter three and verse three to seven. And I won't uh, read it all, but here we have Basically, the state of man, there's this five aspects, I say, of the gospel. Number one, the state of man. We're in deception, in sin. Number two, God reveals His kindness to us. Number three, we are saved. 
Number four, he pours out his Holy Spirit on us. And number five, we have an inheritance in glory where we are heirs with Christ, joint heirs with him. Which is just absolutely remarkable that he takes a rotten sinner and he wants him to stand beside Jesus and be a joint heir. And Jesus is not ashamed to call your brothers and sisters. Joint heirs with him. How can this be? Chains are gone. Debt is paid. And he brings us up like the prodigal son. He brings us right and he puts the robe on us. He says, my son, my son, joint heirs with Jesus. So getting back to verse 4 of Titus chapter 3. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared. There's got to be a moment of revelation for us that we see God, His heart is towards us. You know, we make a lot of judgments of people in the world. But it says very clearly, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived. You cannot actually judge somebody who's deceived because they cannot see what they're missing. But what happens is there's revelation comes and we see the kindness and the love of God. And as I was mentioning before, there's a lot of agape love spoken about in the Bible. In fact, in the old King James in, in 1 Corinthians 13, they called that type of love charity because they were trying to describe that selfless type of love. But this love here, where it says the kindness, where's my notes? Where it says the kindness, which is the, the, the goodness of heart, plus the love of God. This is, now wait, I'll get my Greek out for you. Philanthropia, from which we get philanthropy, lovers of people. Philamp, philamp, can somebody say it? Philanthropists? For, that's good, I like that. You can come and have the microphone. Philanthropist. I try to keep away from the Greek. It means a lover of man in the way of a brotherly affection, a natural affection for someone. And here's the revelation. The kindness of God and the natural affection of God. Not some sort of cold choice that I've got to choose the best for these people so I'll send my son. But that God loves you. He wants to sit down beside you. He wants to have a cup of coffee with you. He wants to walk with you. He likes being with you. And he's kind towards you. He's not mean. It's, it's like, what's your perspective? How were you brought up? What was your father like? Because I'm saying right now in this room here, there are people that have got chains that need to be broken because of their relationship with their father. Because their father was not kind. And they gave a wrong impression of our Heavenly Father, who is kind and loves us. And we need revelation of that. 
We need revelation, and Jesus came to give revelation of that. In fact, even when you look in the Old Testament, a lot of people don't look, look in the Old Testament. It's like, it's all judgment in the Old Testament, all angry God. But when you look in the Old Testament, and you do a word search for mercy and compassion and, and uh, kindness and, and love, it outweighs judgment. God is still God. And I'm going to talk later about judgment, because there has to be judgment if God sent His only Son. Otherwise, He is... He's, he's not to be served, that, that there's no judgment. Why did he send his son? He had to send his son because there's judgment against sin. But when you look in the Old Testament, I'll just give you two, two verses. One is in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17. And this is, uh, this is like at the start of a revival in, in uh, the building of, of the wall when the people came back from, from captivity. And they're trying, they're trying to seek God again. They're coming out of, out of their chains and they're wanting to seek God. And, and the, the, the priests stand up and they give this history of, of what Israel went through and their rebellion. And even though they saw all the works of God and, and they turn against God. But look at what it says in verse uh, 17. But you are God ready to pardon gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great or abundant kindness. And you did not forsake them. Should have forsaken them. <laughs> A miserable bunch. He should have forsaken them. Sometimes we're absolutely miserable. God doesn't forsake us because of His kindness towards us. He chases us. He goes after us. He won't let us alone. Till we come into his presence. He wants us in his presence. Right from in the Garden of Eden, he wanted man and woman to walk with him. He wants us in his presence. In the last chapter, the last two chapters of the Bible, it says, Behold, the tabernacle or dwelling place of God is with man. That's what God's after. And in uh, Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10. For the mountains shall depart, the hills be removed. Has anyone ever been in a earth, an earthquake here? Anyone been in an earthquake? I tell you, when you're in an earthquake, they say that there's no atheists in an earthquake. Everybody, everybody prays, even if they don't believe in God before, because everything's shaking. The things that you held on to that was solid is shaking. It's not a nice feeling. But he says, if the mountains and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall the covenant of my peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. There were three things that the Pharisees accused Jesus of. And we're relating this to the, to the revelation that God brought through His Son of His character. There are three things that the Pharisees accused Jesus of. Number one was that he received sinners and ate with them. Number two was that he healed on the Sabbath day. That's a big, big no-no. And number three, he said he was the Son of God, claimed to be the Son of God. Jesus received sinners. That word received is in, the, in the Greek is, is actually... 
translated several ways. And uh, it's, re- it's translated received. This is in uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 2. It's just before the parable of the prodigal son or the elder brother. It's translated three times receives. It's translated four times looking for. It's translated four times waiting for. And if you look at that, here's Jesus. When they accused him, he was with publicans and sinners. Apparently, publicans had such a bad reputation that in the history books, there was one in in Rome that says, here lies an honest publican on his tombstone. (laughs) Meaning the other 99% were totally dishonest. They hated the publicans because they were ripping them off and they they uh, they were showing them that Rome was in control over them. Now we're robbing from them. So publicans and sinners, Jesus waited for them. He drew them to himself. They came to him. He received them. Jesus, the kindness, the heart of Jesus was to receive, not to judge. Now I I recognize that there are prophetic voices that we need to have as Christians. But never let it be said that we will not receive sinners and eat with them. Otherwise, we're never going to touch anybody. Jesus was showing the Father's heart by receiving the worst people and eating with them. And then when he he was criticized, he told a parable, and we call it the parable of the prodigal, but it's actually, the I think, should be called the prodigal of the elder brother because he was talking about the Pharisees judging the younger brother who were the prostitutes and sinners who were coming to Jesus. And they knew they were useless. They knew they wasted their life. They knew they had nothing, but here's the elder brother. He's standing there judging, and yet he is equally separated from the father. But the kindness of God says, come inside, my son. Come and have a party with me, my son. Come. You know, you never gave me anything. You, you, you're receiving these wasters. You never gave me anything to celebrate with my friends. I often wonder how many friends he had. <laughs> Probably had two, and one of them was dead. You know, there's, there's, there's only two religions in the world. There's that of works or that of faith in Jesus. Everything else that's not faith in Jesus, to totally forgive you and that you are totally trusting in for your salvation is based on works. Whatever it's called, whatever religion it's called, it's based on works. What I can do to make myself right with God. And that's the miserable truth about the elder brother and all the Pharisees. And Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. You can never make yourself right with God. You can never have a relationship with the Father by your works. No matter how hard you work. No matter how long you work. No matter how you you 
judge everyone else that doesn't work. You will never have a relationship with the Father without just trusting in the blood of Jesus to cleanse you from all sin and unrighteousness. It says in, in Titus chapter 2, verse, I think it's verse 10 or something, verse, verse 14, that Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. I was uh, visiting my dad and our dad in hospital the other day and there was another gentleman in the, in the room early on and he just, he, he said, well, I asked if, if I could pray for him. I was going to say he asked me to pray for him, but I asked if I could pray for him and he was happy about that. And the next time he, he said, could you pray for me? He says, he said, I'm not sure all my sins are forgiven. Isn't it interesting when you come to that point? You could live your life, whatever you're doing, when you're in good health, when, you're, when you've got your family growing up, you're busy, you're working, you feel good about yourselves, uh, successful, and then when you're lying on a, a hospital bed and you don't know how long you've got, you say, I'm not sure about my sins. Where are you this morning? Are you sure about your sins? Have they been forgiven? Are you an elder brother that's trying to work for God, trying to please God? Have you done enough is the thing that's going around in your mind. Have I done enough to please him? I want to tell you, you can never do enough to get your salvation. It goes on to say that he has ordained us for good works. He wants a people that are zealous for good works. Zealous. Shunning other things, being zealous for good works. But that will never save you. That's the key of the gospel. And the kindness of God we need revealed to us that we come to him, we run to him, like all these Pharisees, all these publicans and sinners. We run to him. We want to eat with him, and he, he's anticipating us. Even this morning, he's anticipating you. If you've never had an encounter with Jesus, he's anticipating you. Even right now this morning, you feel your heart going like that. He is anticipating having a meal with you. Don't let it slide. We're going to make opportunity at the end of this meeting that you come forward. The land's going to stand there and, uh, and welcome you like Jesus. You look like Jesus a bit too. But he's going to be there, and I want you to run forward. If you've never had a, uh, if you are unsure, you could have been in church your whole life and yet be unsure. Have I done enough? Is that going through your mind? Have I done enough to meet the Lord? If you are unsure, when we sing that song afterwards, my debt is paid. Oh, I was so happy. I just about jumped over the seat. <laughs> Chains are gone. Secondly, they said about Jesus, he heals on the Sabbath. And this was like, wouldn't we just love, just love healings every, every time we gathered together? And yet these guys were so religious. But at one stage, Jesus, he bent down and deliberately, I believe, like, he, he used to do things deliberately to affront that religious spirit. So I feel quite happy to do it too. 
but he, he would deliberately do healings on the Sabbath. He had all the rest of the week, as the ruler of the, uh, the synagogue reminded me, reminded him, there's six days when people can come and get healed. Why do you have to do it on the seventh day? Mess up, mess up my service. <laughs> anyway, so Jesus deliberately makes a, 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 a mess with some clay. He could have just said, be healed, but he deliberately does some work on the Sabbath. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So he makes some clay. He's looking around. The Pharisees. Makes some clay, slaps it on the guy's face. Go and wash. So he makes him work as well. <laughs> Can you imagine it? It would have been so cool. So he goes and washes and, and they say, this guy... Wasn't this the guy who was blind? He looks like him. He says, it's me, it's me. So they go and tell the Pharisees. Why did they go and tell the Pharisees? I have no idea. If there were ever party poopers, it was the Pharisees. You know? And they'd made all the, They only had one law which says keep the Sabbath day holy, but they made the screeds and screeds and screeds of how much was uh, work because you're not, not, not allowed to work on the Sabbath. So what's work? Well, obviously, making clay is work. It's like when the disciples went through the, <laughs> went through the cornfield. I always, thought, I always felt sorry for the guy who owned the corn, but they weren't worried about the guy who owned the corn when the disciples went. They didn't have breakfast that morning, so they're going through the cornfield, and their stomach's rumbling, so they just pluck a corn and rub it and eat it. And the Pharisees, who were... You, can you imagine these Pharisees? They're just walking around after them, even through the cornfield, ready to jump on them at any moment to show them the law. <laughs> what a miserable bunch. Can you imagine them? Had you have a good day today, dear? Yes, I told three, four people about the law. Got these jolly disciples. They were harvesting and grinding they were today. That's what they did, harvesting and grinding. Plucked some, some corn. You know, in the law, you were allowed to pluck somebody's, you were allowed to walk through somebody's field, and if you're hungry, you ate his, ate his food. That's amazing, isn't it? I always felt sorry for the farmer, but no, the Pharisees knew that that law was right. They can't say anything against that. But the fact that they harvested and ground the corn was work, and on the Sabbath, But it's like, it's just actually quite remarkable when, when our religion shuts down so much life. To me, when particularly say I go into Africa, the thing I look for is joy. And I've seen joy and I've seen legalism. And there's no comparison about what, which is attractive. And I believe which pleases God. And the joy is because people know that they're forgiven. The chain is gone. And that chain, I feel like this morning there's people here with a chain of religion that has just dragged them down. And they look at their life and say, have I done enough? 
That's what you're saying. Have I done enough? And when you, when you look at your kids, you say, how come my kids are not rejoicing? Well, I have to say, it's probably because you're not rejoicing. You're free. Yes, you should be zealous for good works, but that is not where you stand. You stand because of the blood of Jesus. Even that guy in... Um, wasn't just Jesus who liked to, uh, to offend the Pharisees. It was the Father's heart. He wanted to show he is kind. He doesn't want religion shutting us down. In John 5, there's, a, there's the, the guy uh, by the pool of Bethesda. And he's waiting for the angel to stir the water. And he can never get into the water fast enough because some other dude just jumps in before him because he's 38 years he's been at this game and nothing's ever worked. 38 years and Jesus said, do you want to be healed? He says, what? <laughs> no, nobody can throw me in the water. Nobody's on my side. <laughs> and Jesus says, stand up and, he, and take your bed and go home. And he, okay, <laughs> he stood up, rolled up his bed and went home. And then the Pharisees see him carrying his bed and it was the Sabbath day. He's walking along. 38 years he's been a cripple. Now he's rejoicing in finally being able to carry something. He's been waiting for people to carry him all the time. He's been carried out to the pool every day for 38 years. And finally, he's carrying something, and the Pharisee says, put that down. <laughs> it's not lawful for you to do work on the Sabbath. Again, bringing the chain upon a man. Jesus said, whatever the, I see the Father do, that's what I do. And that's what he did for that man. Took the chain off him. Gave him his dignity back. Enabled him to carry his bed. In the end of this uh, talk, discussion, interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees, it says in, in uh, John 5, 16, that they sought to kill him. Why? Because he'd healed on the Sabbath. They sought to kill him. And religion will always try to shut down life. And then Jesus went on to say, that my father's working and I'm going to work. And then they sought to kill him some more because he said that he was God. Because he said, they recognized, they said, because He's saying he's the son of God. He's making himself equal with God. And that's where you've got to come this morning. What is the revelation? Do you believe he's the son of God? If you believe he's the son of God, you must believe what he said. If you believe he said what he said, then the only way to the father is through him. And then your chains are gone. Your debt is paid. So number one, he, they said he, he receives sinners and eats with them. Number two, he heals on the Sabbath. Number three, he claims to be the son of God. 
And Jesus absolutely claimed to be the Son of God. He proved. But firstly, before I say, talk about that particular time when, when God just confirmed it with him, in John, in John uh, chapter 8, 58, he's having this discourse with the Pharisees and uh, he says in verse uh, 55, Yet you have not known him, talking about the Father, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, This is, this is like just a huge statement that Jesus makes here. Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And immediately they took up stones to stone him. And what is he, Jesus saying? He's shooting their minds straight back to Exodus chapter 3. When Moses said to God, Who shall I say has sent me to let the people go? And he said, Tell them I am has sent you. And Jesus is claiming to be the I am, the one who delivers, the one who's the Son of God, the one who's God himself walking on the earth, Emmanuel, God with us. And the second time uh, when, when Jesus says that is over in John 18, when they're arresting him in the, uh, in the garden. And verse 4, Jesus, therefore knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward, I love that, and said to them, this is, he's going forward again to meet these people, his accusers. He's not running. He's not judging. He's not doing anything. He's knowing and he's, and he's waiting for them. He's going towards them. And he said, whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. If you notice, your word he there is in the italics. In other words, it's added to make it make sense. But look what happens when he says, I am. They drew back and fell to the ground. Isn't that incredible? Just when Jesus says, I am. And they all <laughs> rushed backwards and just fell over. And you can imagine, what, what's that sort of, <laughs> what are you going to do when you're coming out to arrest somebody and everybody just falls over? And he's just waiting. Because he chose to be in the Father's will, which was to be the sacrifice. So he's just waiting for them to all to get up and get themselves in order again before they can arrest him. But God was just proving yet again, this is my son. All the power of heaven is behind him. He can walk away from this situation or bring down 12,000 angels, but he's choosing because of the kindness and the love of God to become that sacrifice for our sins. So it was his choice. Nobody made him do it. It was his choice. 
Nobody could overcome him. It was his choice. And what trumped up charges to bring against Jesus? He heals on the Sabbath. <laughs> Ridiculous. It's his choice to die for you. You cannot do enough works to make yourself right with God. Got one final or two final or three final scriptures. In, in Jeremiah chapter 9, and verse 23 and 24, the Lord says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man, or strong man, glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness. This is Old Testament. Judgment and righteousness. These three things. Loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. For in these things I delight. The wise man, like Nicodemus, who, can you imagine, Nicodemus was the teacher, in his, the teacher in Israel. People would say, oh, Nicodemus, sit here in the highest place. What does Nicodemus do? He listens from the outside with all the rest of the Pharisees. He listens and he, and he says something convicting his heart about Jesus. He knows he's an intelligent man. He knows he's a wise man. He knows he's a respected teacher. But this Jesus gets under his skin. This Jesus speaks things into his spirit that's different from any professor. And so he sneaks along at night so nobody else will see him. And Jesus said, you must be born again. I just love the way he just cuts through all of the stuff. Teacher, we know you're a man of God because nobody could do so much. You must be born again. And he's saying, ah, ah, ah. his mind can't handle it. How can I get back in my mother? He's so intelligent, he can't grasp what a child can grasp through revelation. And then the mighty man, don't let the mighty man boast in his strength. Just, just picture Goliath, nine foot tall. He, nobody had ever given him any trouble at all. He'd beaten up everyone who had ever come across his path. And there comes a despised little shepherd boy with a tiny little rock and a sling. He's dead. Don't glory in your strength. Don't glory in your wisdom. And, or your riches. I think that one's a, a one for us in the Western world. Don't glory in our riches. Don't put your strength, don't put your, your security in your riches. You're not going to be able to stop the day. Again, we come back to the hospital room. There's nothing that can stop that day. Unless Jesus comes again and takes us. None of, none of your money is going to stop you. It's like Belchazzar. Nebuchadnezzar's son had this big party for a thousand people. It was the height of his kingdom. Everyone had a different cup. He wanted to be the best. And then they brought the stuff out of the, the, uh, from, that had been stolen from the temple of God and they started toasting the gods of silver and gold. 
we, we need to be very careful we're not toasting the gods of silver and gold uh, unintentionally, putting our security in there. And then the writing came on the wall, your time is finished. And it says his knees, his knees, from being this big guy, his knees started playing castanets. One against the other, it said. He was so frightened, and that very night he died. None of these things will save us. And we need to know, it says, we need to know God and his loving kindness, but also his justice and his righteousness. And when you think about judgment, there is judgment to come. But it's not like, in my perception, it's not like God is just waiting there with a big sword to whack you. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, that he dwells in unapproachable light. My perception is not so much that God wants to destroy us because of sin. Rather that sin has no place in his presence and you will not stand in his presence. Unapproachable light. Unless we have the clothing that Jesus gives us, his righteousness, we cannot move into his presence. We cannot stand before him and start talking about how many good deeds we've done. There's not going to be any arguing. It's unapproachable life, light. Just like when Job, who, who spent plenty of time arguing how good and righteous he was, when he came into the presence of God, he says, I'm finished. I can't say another thing. We need to know God is so holy we cannot step into his presence without the clothing that Jesus brings us. The asbestos that Jesus places on us through his precious blood. The robes of righteousness that he gives. Then we can walk into his presence with boldness and say to him, my, my debt is paid. When he says, why should I let you into my heaven? He says, you paid my debt. You've redeemed me. You've purchased me back. My debt is paid. My chains are gone. Let's, let's uh, sing that, shall we? Thanks, Kevin and team. You know, when Jesus, uh, when that, that guy was let down the roof, they broke up the roof and that guy came down. Jesus didn't just heal him. He said, your sins are forgiven. And then just to prove to you that I can forgive sins, you're healed. The first thing with all of us that needs to happen is that we need to acknowledge, we need to have our eyes open to Jesus, who he said he was. And we need to, like that man, on that bed, have our sins forgiven. And Jesus wants to do that for you, each one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you that you're affectionate towards us. That your heart is moved by our situation. 
that your heart is towards us, you do not want any of us to perish. And on the other hand, you offer us a freedom from debt so that we can stand boldly into your presence. We can enter into that unapproachable light through the sacrifice, Jesus, that you made on the cross. Thank you that you gave yourself. We don't want to labor under the law. We don't want to be Pharisees trying to judge every other person. We want to walk in the freedom that comes through knowing you, having an encounter with you. Can we stand together? I want us to sing this song, and, and again, I say to you, if you, in your mind, as I've spoken, you've been saying, have I done enough? Be bold enough to come. You know, Jesus always called publicly. <laughs> say, what? But people will look around and see me. Jesus always called publicly. And if the Lord is pulling on your heart, I don't care even if you don't know why he's pulling on your heart. You need to respond to him. And so you, as we're singing this song, and we're only going to sing it through once or three times, you come. You come. And meet Jesus. Meet him. Remember, he's kind to you. He's kind to you. That's how he's approaching you this morning. Thanks, Kim. You make sure you come. While we're singing, come.